think it's working this morning. Excellent. So far, so good. If, if that if that doesn't scream, you know, typical way Greg and James do things, I don't know what does. We think it's working. That's a synonym for classic, right? It is, sure. The way we've always done it. Yeah. I'm, so we've tried different languages. We've tried, you know, strange inflections and intonations. We've done synonyms. We need some new way to introduce classics. This is a classic. Oh, my gosh. That's <laughs> dull. <laughs> That is dull. But it is completely factual. It, it is f- factual, yes, if we're talking, if we're being science science and all, yes. If we're, if we're using classic, uh, classic as, a, as a descriptor for old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> old. Maybe we'll sew away from old into tired. This is a review of a previous recording. Great. Our, <laughs> our robotic classic introduction. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of robots. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I'm listening. <laughs> I knew you would be. So th- this classic is, I, I don't know why I said robots. This classic is about, <laughs> is about bailing in storage and proper labeling. And I guess if you were doing it right, you've had, you've had a whole automated system set up. And there you go. Sure. Nice, <laughs> yeah. nice, nice I, save I, there. I, I, can, I can transition with the best of them. Four-year-old could have pulled that one off. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And they know more about robots than I do. They do. They do. A good system would involve automation. It's instead of the way you typically do it, which is, you know, a bunch of people with hands and, you know, when it comes to labeling in particular, you know, who has good handwriting? You're the labeler. Right. <laughs> and for a while, that's exactly how we had to do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's we had some fancy labels uh, like label stock made up by a proper artist that had fields that, you know, you could write in. And hey, I mean, what what did we know? But man. I said it on the Discord last week. Perception is reality. So if you, even if you've got like the crappiest product ever, but you put forward a good label and artwork and a good presentation, that's that's matters more, frankly, to the consuming public than what's actually in the package. Oh, huge! Agreed. Perception is reality, and the and on the liability side of it, and I, and I believe we talk about this in the episode when it comes to proper labeling, you you need to be able to backtrack in case, God forbid, there is a problem and figure out where the hops came from. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> so, yeah. Lot traceability. Important. Yep. Mm-hmm. So if, as, as soon as that pellet or that hop is pelletized, it becomes a food product. And at that point, you're subject to standard food laws, which means you have to provide traceability, lot traceability back to source. And in case something, yeah, should go wrong, the brewer has an issue with, with a given package of, of pellets, you can look at that lot and see if anybody else had any package, you know, issues with that, those packages. So it's a thing. I mean, it's a whole thing. And it doesn't have to be complicated, just like the, the quote, automation doesn't have to be complicated. It's, there's actually some very simple steps one could take to improve the efficiency of filling and sealing bags instead of, you know, scoop, dump, scoop, dump, <laughs> uh, you know, look into some of that, some of that automation to help streamline your process and actually you get better quality pellets out of it because you're not manhandling them so much. Oh, sure. Sure. A, a lot of, and once again, it's one more thing that when you say, I want to grow hops, this is the last thing you're thinking about. Of course. It's, it's not the sexy fun part. James, I got a whole bunch of hops. Where do I put them? 
Sorry, I just my my first instinct was, you know. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, I know what it was. Yeah, yep, yep. Well, so we're going to talk about storage today. Yes, storage and and just general post harvest handling, mm-hmm. which we know to those of you selling really only wet hops, uh, certainly our Aussie buds, that might be something you don't have to deal with in the immediate future but if you have any success at all you're likely going to be able to produce more hops than your brewers are going to want wet so then what let's talk about storage yep and just, and just quality and speaking of our aussie buds so uh thank you to john anderson in australia for reaching out and Coco. um coco <laughs> coco <laughs> and, and just giving us a, a virtual high five there for the podcast so far we Appreciate heard from it. a few other of our new friends, uh, Rich Schneeberger. I'm sure I'm pronouncing your name wrong, Rich. Mm-hmm. And uh, Super Duper Dave Osborne. According nice. to him, he's Super yes. Duper. I, I super. love the confidence. Yes. Well, not to be confused with Super Dave Osborne, which, you know, that's a copyright infringement. Yes. Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. A- and we have to just say, I-, I don't know if it's just our friend Ernestus, but <laughs> as we started, we're looking more and more at our statistics here. And we have a, a very lopsided number of downloads coming out of Lithuania. <laughs> so, Ernestus, I don't know, brother, if you've just listened to every episode eight or nine times or what's going on, but you've got to clue us in. We're, mm-hmm. we're, we're really big in Lithuania. We are. We are huge in Lithuania. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Again, or Ernestus, you've got to start writing some of this stuff down and not listening to it multiple times. <laughs> it's the only other option I can think of. Hey, I, I don't know. <laughs> So we, we're, we're pleased to see our Lithuanian fan base is growing. We may need to get some, uh, some logo merchandise made up. I don't know how you convert Hopnology to any language, really. Yeah, um, it's... It's not even English. No, not really, which is fine, because I don't speak not English. So Okay. So, um, reminder to everyone, we're still running our, uh, our contest. We're taking submissions for those of you who either have a startup hop farm and want to get some feedback on how you've gotten things set up, or if, you're, if you want to start something up and you want to kind of frame for us your background and about your land and about what your plans are and all that, and we will um, dig into it on the air and talk about what you're doing and um, try not to embarrass anyone in the process. I, I I make no such promises. Oh, okay. If you've listened to us long enough, you, you pretty much know that's the way it rolls. Mm-hmm. But I'm also easy to make fun of, so, you know, pretty easy target for retribution. No, uh, no comment. I'll, I'll hitch up on some of that later. Mm. <laughs> so storage. Yep. So what? you've harvested, you've dried, you've... Maybe. Um, may, well, maybe. Okay, that's that'll play into this a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. let, let's assume that you're not that one guy listening right now, guy or girl, who has pre-sold everything wet and is just, you know, you're not even stripping the binds. You're just carrying these <laughs> binds over to a brewer who's more than happy to pick them and use them right off, right off the bind. If, if, that, if you've made that sale, God bless you. You can turn off this podcast now and go <laughs> yeah. spend that money. There's nothing we can tell you. To, nope. nope. We'd love to have you on. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so we've got to think about storage. And even in the best scenarios where, even let's say we're going to talk about dried product right now. 
where let's say you could move it all, right? And you're small and your brewers are really engaged. And, and what's that going to do? That's going to encourage you to grow more because, hey, look, and I'm having some success. And in a very short period of time, you're going to find out that you can grow way more than you can pre-sell. So what, what are you going to do? You've got to be able to store these things. And as we've talked ad nauseum in the past about how easily hops spoil and, and oxidize, it's about storing them in a manner that slows down that degradation as much as possible without, you know, going stupid off the cliff with, you know, crazy storage conditions. Uh, and so the, the first thing we, we typically do is uh, bale them. We squash them. We squash them dry into some sort of a, a fabric. In the past, it was burlap, and now it's because that can can actually impart some flavor to the hops. You don't want that. So now it's like woven polyethylene or fake synthetic burlap. That's the industry standard. I'm not saying that's what you have to do, but that's the industry standard. And when we talk about dry here, we're talking about dry whole cone, where this is, we're yes. not talking pelletized, nope. anything like that. This is dry down to 8%. The the formula is in an Instagram haiku from about a month and a half ago. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep, of course. So yeah, dried 8 to 10% whole cone. So the idea here is, so why bale? I mean, people like, oh man, I got to have a baler now. I got to have another freaking piece of equipment. You can do whatever you want. But baling, what it does is it it densifies, because as we've talked before, hops, dry hops, weigh around 1.3 to 1.5 pounds per cubic foot. That's lighter than cotton. There takes up a whole lot of space if you're going to get, you know, a thousand pounds to the acre on the low side. Think about that. Think about how many cubic feet that takes up to store. So squish it. Even if you squish it two to one, you're going to save yourself, you know, twice as much space. But typically what we found is you you can squish hops, dried hops, to a point where you actually start breaking the lupulin gland open. And we don't want that, right? We took very good care to make sure we're not fracturing that gland to let oxygen in uh, during drying. So during storage, we don't want to break that gland. And uh, tons of research done on it. And what we found, not we, but I say we is the, the hop industry. What we found is that pressure, compression rates of over like seven to one start to get into lupulin gland crushing regions. We always stuck ourselves, we stuck to no more than seven to one compression. Think about that. So I'm saving seven times the space. And let's say you're going to take that and you're just not going to store these in your garage. You want to store them cold. So somewhere around 34 degrees Fahrenheit or maybe one degree C. Freezer space and cooler space is spendy. So you want to smash the stuff down so you can actually save space. So that's densifying is the number one reason for, for bailing. Number two reason is, is as you squish that stuff and make it denser and denser, you, you, you're squeezing out oxygen, you're squeezing out air, and it makes it a lot harder for air to infiltrate the center of that bale and cause oxidation damage. That's it. That's why we bale. I've seen people who have all kinds of creative ways of doing it. If you look back in the, 
in the old days in in England and in uh, Germany and the Czech Republic, they had um, basically what amounts to a big, looks like a gigantic cider press, a big screw press, and uh, and a hole in the floor where they where they would stick a bag, and they just literally sweep dried hops into this bag and run this plunger down and squish them. Uh, it's not any more complicated than that. Yeah. And I know we've had people use trash compactors as a way to do it. Log splitters, like a, like a hydraulic ram on an old log splitter, you know, mm-hmm. things that are, that are very homebrew, which is fine for the very, for the small scale hobbyist. But you know, if you're going to get into five plus acres, you need to start thinking about something more serious. And that's where the, the baler comes in. Okay. I would, I would say that, how you choose to bale for storage is uh, determined by what you plan to do with those hops. Do you plan to sell, because there are some brewers that want whole cone in mini bales, in gas barrier bags, vacuum sealed. So that is a very particular setup. And once you're set up for it, that's what you do, unless you're going to add an entirely new line to process or to uh, bale and, and store on. So if you're going to, if that's your, if that's your niche, then you need to be set up for that. And there's balers that you can look for to do that. But then you're also going to need barrier bags and, and, and a vacuum sealer uh, to go right into for that, as opposed to bailing for, for pelletizing, which is something different. Now you're just densifying for storage and you plan on ripping those bags open and dumping the hops out and pelletizing them later. So they're they're kind of two different things and so you got to know which which road you're going down so james correct me if i'm wrong but when it comes to balers you're not going to find anything googling hop baler it's not like a wolf harvester where there's an industry standard for this there's no there's no company out there making a hop baler well there is wolf makes a hop baler okay, <laughs> okay oops uh yeah wolf makes a hop baler um they're about 25 grand um, but they've got load cells and automatic loaders and all kinds of stuff. They're very, very nice balers. And because I'm such a tight wad, uh, I built my own, but I built it based on their design. So the baler that we built was, uh, their baler is, uh, is an elect- electrically driven ram. It's not hydraulic. It's a motor with a bunch of gear reductions that sends a plunger down, just like I talked about those, those old timers did, um, and uh, does the squishing for you. I built a hydraulic one because that was the easiest thing for me to do using food safe hydraulic fluid just in case of a, a drip or something here or there. But um, six and a half or seven foot long hydraulic ram that I had made at a hydraulics place in uh, Nebraska. It was tube steel, I think, by the time we were done with it, all in. It was single phase. It was a big 10 horsepower motor, but single phase. Uh, steel and labor i think we were into it for about forty five hundred dollars pretty reasonable and that thing was way overpowered i've nearly destroyed itself (laughs) a couple of times so i could have dialed that baby back a little bit but you know when you don't know what you're getting into um you tend to overbuild but that was relatively simple and Mm -hmm. there's lots of drawings you can find out there and pictures and whatnot online it's not a lot to it. It's a big ram and a, a form that you put a bag in, a steel form, and you fill it up with hops and you smush it. And you fill it up with hops and you smush it. 
So you're not filling it all. You're not filling up this long column and doing one press. You're doing two to three, sometimes four fills and squishes uh, to get it all in there. And then you pull the plunger out and the hops start to expand again because they're kind of springy. So you, you quick fold the flaps over on the bag and you sew it shut and you're done. Gets pulled out, weighed, labeled, and ready for, for storage. Now you can do you can do that on a big scale like we were doing, which those bales were two foot by two foot by four foot, and they weighed about 175, 180 pounds. Or you could build something much smaller, like like I said, out of a log splitter ram, and have these tiny little mini bales. But it's it's to your point, Greg. It's yeah, you can buy a hop baler out there. They're super spendy, but there's these. Are, this is not rocket science. You could also make one. I, I don't want to gloss over one thing that you mentioned there when it comes to storage, because we're, I mean, we're focusing here on the bailing and, and whatnot, but you said, yep, and you close it up and you label it and you store it. Labeling. We could spend hours talking about labeling, but yeah. it it's so easy. There are two things that's easy to screw up here. One is just to not label things. And you know what? Squished hops... All the varieties kind of look the same. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> so if you don't label, you're you're in trouble there. Yeah. But I'm telling you right now, if you are going to to go through the prob the problems of of bailing and wrapping this up, and then you go buy stickers or you use masking tape and scribble something on it, and God forbid it doesn't stick properly to whatever material your bags are made out of. Understand how important it is to know what's in that bag. I guess yeah. is my point. Yeah, and that's 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 an important topic because these bags are, you know, the the industry standard is polyethylene. Nothing likes to stick to polyethylene, so you have mm-hmm. to be very careful about what the adhesive is on your label if you're doing printed labels. Um, and and then where are they going into for storage? Because they may not hold up to cold very well. And the last thing you want to see is a bunch of labels laying on the floor in a cooler. <laughs> and and how do they handle moisture? Because you're going to be taking these bales, if you're going to put them in store cold storage, the relative humidity in there can be pretty high. A lot of times you'll get dampness and, and wrinkling and puckering of those labels and they can peel off. So that's something very important to think about. They There are labels that are made specifically for like the freezer industry, for like... Uh, uh, meat packing houses and things like that. And those are kind of the adhesives that you're going to look for. And actually, like Avery Label makes these. You can buy them. Uh, so it's not like some sort of weird exotic thing you got to go hunting for. I think, t- to your point, though, we should talk about the label just a little bit. In the U.S., if you have enough hops to bail for processing, the things that, as a former processor we would need to see and actually the usda needs to see is a lot number your grower identification number the variety the harvest date the field if you have a field or some sort of designator and uh, the weight because if we have any issues at all in the processing and we'll talk we can talk about processing extensively later on we have to be able to show control over the lot. So if there's a recall on a product, we have to have traceability back to the exact field that it came out of. And all of that information needs to be on the label. And we would collect and monitor that so we knew what hops were going and, and what blended batches and all that good kind of stuff. So it's not 
a, just a little thing to be trifled with. I would highly recommend at the if you do nothing else, get some stencils and some water soluble ink or something, and you know stencil CAS on the outside of it for Cascade and you know CHIN for Chinook or whatever you've got at the very least do that because yeah once they're in the in the cooler um, and the labels come off you don't know what you got mm-hmm. and you know, we had the added complication that we were pro- we were processing for a bunch of other growers at the same time so we had hops that were not our own that we had to tell apart mm-hmm. um, yeah I, I have that image in my head right now of that freezer with a bunch of curled up labels on the ground. You learn that the hard way <laughs> and you, do, you don't do it again. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've been talking about having dried hops that are being baled mostly for pre-pelletizing. But what about hops that are dried hops that are baled in the mini bales for brewers that, that want to use whole leaf hops? I struggled with that because we weren't really tooled up for it. And I figured, how in the heck am I going to do this? And uh, as I am wont to do from time to time, I was perusing the interweb for pieces of equipment that I could use for things that they were never intended. Toys. Yeah. And I found, of all things, I found on Alibaba what's called a rag baler, R-A-G. And that's exactly what it's for. You stuff rags in one end and it squishes them down with a couple of uh, pneumatic rams and then pushes them into a bag and, you know, they send them off for whatever they're going to do with them. I'm like, that'd make the perfect mini hop baler. And they were reasonably inexpensive as, as balers go. And it would make this brick of hops that were probably, oh, I'd say 12 inches by wide by eight inches tall by probably 14 inches long and it was the perfect brick that you could get into a barrier bag quickly and vacuum and still hold its shape i was just like holy crap that would be the perfect thing and i just never got around to getting one Uh, so i would love anybody who's going to do that take pictures because i think it's going to work awesome nice a brick of hops a brick of hops yep and like our uh, couple of customers we had in Japan, that's all they would use. They wouldn't use pellets. They would only use whole leaf, dried whole leaf bricks. So there is a market there for them. Um, certainly if your growers out there that have brewers who are using your wet hops, they might switch over to dry whole leaf uh, without much of an issue when you start to find that you have more crop than you can sell wet without pelletizing. Something to keep in mind. Yeah, better to plan for that well in advance. So we've got these baled hops. Where are we going to put them? And I know I started the episode saying that, and you had some words of wisdom for me that we won't repeat. Um, <laughs> so you need cold storage. Well, need, for you know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. Yes. So if you're going to maintain quality of any kind, you have to keep these things cold. And a lot of people say, James, can I freeze these? Um, you can do whatever you want. If they're dried properly, so if they are in that 8 to 10%, and you freeze them, they're likely going to be fine uh, for, for long periods. 
the the bigger issue is when they're not dried properly and they're still wet. Now, I know there's some folks out there that have said, oh, I had these wet hops frozen in my freezer and I pull them out and my brewer used them and he loved them and they were great. Um, let me know what brewery that is and I won't go there. Um, <laughs> there are some serious issues that happen to wet things when you freeze them. And certainly if they're not in the appropriate packaging, uh, you will get oxidation happening. Even though they're, quote, frozen, that doesn't mean oxidation stops. Just think about things that get freezer burned in your own freezers. The, the concept of, of wet hops all year round, that's a whole nother discussion. But I would say, yeah, you're, you're definitely going to want to keep them cold. And as you get bigger, that cold room gets bigger. It's something that we struggled with for years. Every mm -hmm. year it was something new about how are we going to deal with this uh, before we finally pulled the trigger and, and bought a cold room. But it's it, those are the growing pains. Yep, and you don't know how to size that because you've got your handshake agreements and your contracts and your spot purchases, and you don't want to build for your maximum yield because that means you've sold nothing you don't need that much space right and cooling an empty room is very expensive <laughs> very much <laughs> and, and those rooms i mean if you're going to do it right i mean the floor has to be insulated so if it's concrete you've got insulation under the concrete and they are not an inexpensive endeavor and then how big do you build it do you build it so it's modular and it can become incrementally bigger but it's fine if you can just increase the space with more freezer panels. But now your cooling system may be undersized. So are you going to, you know, it's just a total catch-22. Mm -hmm. And that's why so many small growers say, well, I'm not going to bother with that just because, you know, it's too complicated to deal with and, and potentially very spendy. But it is something that if when you get into acreage uh, that you're going to have to deal with, we in Wisconsin really don't have any cold storage facilities around here except for cheese. And those are, you don't want to be putting hop bales of hops into cold storage with other food because it will take on the other food will take on the aroma of hops and they don't like that. So <laughs> it, it's not like we could rent space to store these bales until we could get around to, to pelletizing them. So it yep. was, yeah, very, very touchy. The first obvious place to go is a refrigerated semi-trailer. Sounds like a great idea. Yeah, it's temporary. You just yep. pay for it when you need it. Mm -hmm. it's, it sounds great. It sounds great. Those units are meant for transport, not for long-term storage. And as such, they have minimal insulation on the walls and the floor. And the refrigeration units are not that particularly efficient, and they guzzle diesel like you wouldn't believe. When those diesel units go dry, a lot of times they get damaged. you got to call a technician out. They have to do all their priming and start it up again. Meanwhile, since it's not well insulated, all, suddenly all of those hops are in a, an aluminum box in the sun. <laughs> uh, it gets very hot in there very quickly. We used them. We used them for a couple of years, but they're not, they're good stopgap measures. I wouldn't, they're not long-term 
options. Yep. Similarly to those, you have these roll-off boxes, like 20-foot uh, cargo containers that are refrigerated. Um, those are better uh, insulated because they're meant for ocean voyages, and you can rent those as well. But uh, again, pretty spendy when you start looking at it and you say, I'm spending how much to rent this? I mean, for us, we'd have to spend $900 a month for a single refrigerated trailer, and that doesn't include the diesel. So the diesel could be another, at farm diesel rates, could be another $300 or $400, and you don't get any of that back. It's like you start looking at the money you spend year over year on that, and you could say, I could take that money, right, and put it towards an actual physical cooler unit and finance it like we've talked earlier in other episodes about how, you know, big boy and big girl farmers actually pay for stuff and use that money towards those monthly payments on my infrastructure, which seems like a better way to go, but you're adding infrastructure. You could see how really quite quickly when you say, I want to be a hop grower and I want to expand my operation, how all of these things start to stack on top of each other. Mm-hmm. And infrastructure-wise, it has nothing to do with your physical hop yard. And we've talked about it before, just the the nonlinear way these things increase in size and in cost. And you just said it when it comes to the freezer space. It's so hard to determine how much of it you need and unless you can very cleverly build something that's modular, you do go in and you finance something. Well, do you go big out of the gate so that you've got room later? Mm-hmm. Or do you go small and spend as little as possible knowing that you're going to have to potentially either rebuild or build a second or a third separate room down the road? Those are, those are difficult decisions. It depends on your financial position and yep. your risk tolerance. Very much. You know, fortunately, being in Wisconsin... It gets cold here in the winter, if you didn't know. It wasn't long that we would have to turn the, the cooler to the, the cooling unit to the freezer off because the outside was way colder. <laughs> and it's like, okay, yeah, do we want them to freeze? You know, for, for the first few years, you're like, no, we don't want them to freeze. We want them to keep them, you know, at 34 Fahrenheit or whatever. And then we're like, you mean I got to put a space heater in my cooler? <laughs> um, what? How is this going to work? And then we just say, oh, the hell with it. <laughs> so we would let them freeze over the winter and just have it open to outside air. And same thing with our finished pellets. It's like, yeah, what, why go, you know, have them stored in a zero degree facility when it's, you know, 15 below in. Yeah. Take advantage of what's out there. Oh, yeah, it's just a juggle, and it's you know I'm I just don't have a good answer. Um, I would love to see what people have done. We've helped people build small, you know, insulated cold boxes inside of facilities out of styrofoam and something called a cool bot, which is basically a an external thermostat that you use to hack the uh, thermostat in a wall air conditioner unit to to drop the temperature down, keep it around 34 degrees. Um, and those work good for long-term storage, but they don't overcome large swings in temperature very well. So it might take three days to come down to temperature. And as soon as you open the door, temperature shoots back up again. But they work, and they're fairly affordable to get into uh, for cold storage. But it's the space requirement, and it's like, well, do I have the indoor space for this? Because you know, last thing you want is to have space allocated inside of your already precious building space that is only used for a short time a year. So 
Yep. Very, very difficult juggling act. It gets back to why bailing is so important because you need to minimize the space that these hot pillows are taking up. Kudos to you growers who can get them out of your hands, you know, ASAP. But Greg, I want to circle back to and talk more in depth about uh, the comment you made about pre-selling and how does that factor into one's decision on how to store or what to store? Because you think about it, you're like, okay, I'm going to store these hops for, you know, and I'm going to sell them whole leaf. I'm not going to worry about pelletizing, right? Well, how long do I have them for? Well, right, but pelletizing, you know, reduces the space required by a factor of 40, <laughs> which is another reason people pelletize. So it's like, as opposed to holding on to bales, if you can get them pelletized and reduce that volume even that much more, now you need even less cold storage space. Mm-hmm. And all due respect to our, our friends in Australia, but at least in the U.S., the vast majority of the ask from the brewers is for pellets. Yeah, by far. I mean, 95% plus want pellets. But um, but I want to know. So let's get back to that concept of, of what is your pre-sale expectation to know exactly how much you're going to hold? Because it's not like... A brewer says, yeah, okay, I'll take 500 pounds. Well, who's storing them? Usually you are. <laughs> yeah. It, it depends on when they want those 500. You know, do they want 500 pounds at once? Or do they want 500 pounds from this harvest, 100 pounds at a time? Or more likely, it's as needed. Oh, I want I want two boxes of 44 pounds each now, but the rest of them I'll tell you when I'm ready. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's not only a space concern issue in terms of how you build out your cold storage, it's also a cash flow issue. They're not going to pay you until those are in hand, and maybe even not then. So you sort of have a soft agreement to say, yeah, I'll take these, but you're going to, Mr. Grower or Ms. Grower, you're going to carry the risk of that allocated crop until I feel like taking it? Yeah, because at what point, at any point, they can turn around and say, you know what, I think I'm good. But you've only taken 150 pounds of the 500 you told me you wanted. Yeah, but I think we're good. You've got 350 pounds sitting around that you now need to move somewhere. It is a difficult conversation. And we've talked about this before, about that, that handshake relationship. And the fact that if that was flipped around and they had taken 150 pounds and they want some more and you say, sorry, it's gone. What do you mean it's gone? I told you I wanted 500. Yeah, but I I sold it to someone else. Someone else wanted it immediately. It's a difficult, difficult balance to keep there because you do want to move your product when you have the ability to, but you also want to build a relationship. We talked before about time use efficiency of equipment, and we talked about how a harvester is, you know, it's like you need it, but you're only going to use it for a very short period of time, and it's highly specialized as opposed to like a tractor, which you use a little bit all the time and is like a Swiss army knife based on the things that you can plug and play on it. Cold storage is like, I don't know. It's like a dodo or an endangered species. It's like, <laughs> it's like I've, I've got this one off thing over here. It does one thing, right? Well, so it's James. So does your harvester. Yeah, no, I get it, but it's 95% empty space. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. 
it costs me how much and look at the cost of the real estate has taken up. So I do not fault anybody for trying to get around not having it. And we did for years. Mm-hmm. We, we begged, borrowed, and steal to a degree. We, we had a very good relationship with one brewer who was willing to hold some of our crop in their mm-hmm. freezer. Mm-hmm. That was the best deal we had, I right. think. Oh, totally. But that it lasted one year because the year next year he needed a space for his beer and we had more hops than he could handle. Now mm-hmm. what? Yep. So I, I never cracked it. Never cracked the, the uh, equation there. So to James's point, we would love to hear, for those of you with some volume, how you handle this. Right. And of course, if you have very little volume, well, I mean, everyone can put a, a chest freezer in their garage or in their barn. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, if you've got enough volume where this, this is an actual legitimate concern, um, very curious how you're dealing with this issue. Because as James said, it, it was probably the number one thing that changed every single season because our volume changed, our pre-sales changed. Uh, it, it was always a question mark. Yeah, and how we were handling the hops. You know, when we first started, we were cramming them dried hops into, you know, polyethylene grain bags and storing them in a really, really over-air-conditioned room uh, because we figured something was better than nothing. Then we changed how we were baling. Then they were round bales and, then you know, cylinders. And then they were square, you know, rectangular bales. And uh, it, it was a constant moving target. The one thing you don't want to do when you're storing is store them in plastic that doesn't breathe. Uh, do not do that. I saw uh, growers here in Wisconsin that had, uh, they were bailing hops into plastic liners into cardboard boxes, and that's what they were putting in their cooler. And I'm like, uh, how are you getting equilibrium moisture content? Oh, they're dry. Yeah, right. And then you find out that they weren't dry because you put them in that cold environment and water starts to condense on the insides of the bag and now you got rot. So don't do that. You want to you want to put them in something breathable, whether you're bailing them or you're just storing them loose. Make sure that you can get gas, some air exchange in there to make sure the moisture hits the equilibrium point of whatever temperature you're storing it at. <sighs> This this topic depressed me. I don't know why. It's like I know I, I never it's cracked made me it. Kind of I, sad as well. I never I never could figure it out. But it was one of those. It was like the last big bite to take on infrastructure to to you know really make it to the big time, so to speak. Um, but just the thought of all that space not being well utilized for the rest of the year i can use it for storage i guess but we did store some brewers beer in it a couple of times when they ran out of cooler space so yeah it's i i agree with you it's a tricky one we never quite got it right i would i would again i'd love to hear some people i'd love to hear some people who've had success with this and or just have some different ideas or ways they've done it uh the whole beg borrow and steal motif was again was the only thing we were successful with and that you're not always going to find that i wonder if there's you know we've talked about the fact that you can't really share a harvester because you need it at the same time if you have other local hop growers you know maybe you can get together and and share larger storage space i mean you you always talk about the fact that we've we've said here you 
tend to overbuild and you look at all this empty space you're cooling and it just kind of makes you mad. You you feel the money leaking out of your pockets when that happens. So maybe that's a situation where where partnership makes some more sense. We didn't have that opportunity. Right. That's a good idea. Yeah, I hadn't considered that, but I think you're right. That's a, a good place where, you know, people talk about, you know, growing cooperatives. That would be a good use for one. A centralized processing facility could be a good use for one. Uh, as opposed to, yeah, uh, communal dryers and communal harvesters, which never, ever works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you all just need them at the same time. It, mm-hmm. It's that high time use issue. Yeah, yep. But yeah, I, I agree with you. I um I had a couple jokes to make earlier as we were going along, and I just I, I felt like this was just too somber a topic to get into. You, you know, you you uh, you mentioned the round bales and the square bales, and I was all set to chime in with what about those trapezoidal bales? Those were my uh, favorite. Yeah. But the cones, um, I like the cone yeah. bales. Those were good. Oh, nice. Yeah, putting your cones into a cone. Mm-hmm. So sorry to be a downer um, <laughs> on this one about about cold storage, but it's a um. It's a bit of a frigid topic. Ah, um, <laughs> nice. Yes, uh, that that was know, brutal. Chilly, chilly reception to that. Chilly joke. reception. Yeah. <gasps> See, I am kind of. We can lighten I, up at the end. I'm kind of cooling off to the whole idea. <sighs> boo, 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 boo. <laughs> that uh, that sounds like an exit strategy for this one. Mm-hmm. I'm out. Uh, please give us your feedback on this. I would love to get some suggestions because clearly. We've got a lot of advice on what didn't work. We'd love to hear some things that have. That's the story of my life. So, sorry to be a downer, 